Amen. Thank you, ladies. Thank you for singing the gospel, because that is the good news of Jesus Christ, the cross of Christ, and all that it means for us. I want you to take your Bibles, and I want you to turn to the last chapter in the book of Malachi. We've come to the end of this short series. We're in chapter 4, and um, this morning I'd just like for us to read the first three verses of Malachi chapter 4, the first four verses. Read along with me as I read aloud this portion of God's Word. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of God. Blessed be God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. <clears throat> For what we have already experienced, the, the songs, the hymns that we have sung, the special music, Lord, and now our heart is ready to, our hearts are ready to, to hear your word, and we just pray that the Holy Spirit of God might illuminate the word of God that is being spoken today so that we might understand what you desire from us. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Did you know, and you probably do, that two-thirds of the entire Bible is prophecy? Just think about that. Two-thirds of the Bible is about prophecy. Now that tells us a few things. Number one, it tells us that prophecy is important. It's important. It also tells us that we need to hear what God has to say about end-time events. You know, God has given His prophetic word to us, I think, for three reasons. Number one, He has given us His prophetic word to inform us about His future program. In fact, uh, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, I do not want you to be uninformed brothers. He doesn't want us to be ignorant. He doesn't want us to be uninformed. Secondly, God has given us his prophetic word to prepare us for his coming. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 42, Therefore, stay awake. Another word for that is be ready. For you do not know what day your Lord is coming. So he's given us his word so that we might be prepared for his coming. So it won't catch us off guard, you might say. And then thirdly, he has given us his prophetic word to motivate us to share the gospel. To get the gospel out. The good news. You know, there's a lot of hopelessness in this world today. And Jesus gives us hope. I mean, he's the hope of the world. He really is. And we have an opportunity to share that message and... Prophecy should, at least, motivate us to get that word out. 
You know, I, I love prophecy. Um, we're doing a study in the book of Revelation, and certainly we won't be there tonight, but um, if you haven't been a part of that, I encourage you to come out for that. Um, I was fortunate to have a pastor later on in my Christian journey that believed in prophecy and preached prophecy, Dr. Richard C. Alderman. Uh, he came here several times and preached um, through um, certain passages in Revelation and also end-time events. Well, I can announce to you now that he's in glory. He passed away just last week. A great soldier of the cross, no question about it, but he's with the Lord now. You know, it was his hope that he would go up there before death. Well, he didn't get that. He didn't get that um, blessing, did he? But he's rejoicing with the saints of God now in glory. Pray for his family, his dear wife, and his children. His son is Chris, and he's really been co-pastor there, and he's now has all the responsibilities of that great church at Little Rock, South Carolina. Well, look with me as we begin in, in Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. Notice how it begins, For behold, the day is coming. Now, what should really strike you is those two little words, the day. This refers to the day of the Lord when God intervenes in human history. Beginning at the rapture of the church and then going all the way through the seven-year tribulation period on earth and then all the way through the second coming of Christ, which will take place seven years later when he comes to establish his kingdom on this earth for a thousand years. You can say, in short, the day of the Lord refers to all the events surrounding the return of Jesus Christ. Now, the return of Jesus is going to mean different things to different people, depending on their uh, relations with Jesus Christ or lack of relationship with him. To those who don't have a relationship with Christ, it's going to mean judgment. Those that do have a personal relationship with Christ, it will mean salvation. This morning, I want us to do something very simple. I want us to answer three questions from the fourth chapter of Malachi that relates to the return of Jesus Christ. Just three questions. The first question is this. What will the Lord's return mean to those who have trusted Jesus as Savior? What will it mean to those of us who have put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Now, to answer this question, we've got to go back a little bit to the third, to the third chapter, verse 17. And notice what it says in verse 17 of chapter 3. It says, they shall be mine. It's talking about God's people. It's talking about us if you have a relationship with him. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. Now, just let that sink in just for a minute. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Now, when I think of a treasure, you know, I think of gold, silver, and, and precious stones, jewelry, things like that. Have you ever gone into a fine jewelry store to buy a gold ring, maybe a diamond ring? Well, it's going to cost you, isn't it? <laughs> because a treasure is precious, it's valuable. It's costly. And that's the, that's the word that God uses to describe those of us who have trusted Jesus as Savior. 
He calls us my treasured possession. So if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then that's who you are. That's who you are to God. You are His treasured possession. You are precious in His sight. You are extremely valuable to Him. No matter what your family might think of you, no matter what people might think of you, no matter what your boss at work might think of you, you are a treasure of inestimable value to God. (laughs) You know, one day... And I believe it could be very soon. Jesus is coming back to claim his treasured possession. To to take us who know him personally to heaven. And he's not going to leave any of his treasured possession behind to undergo this tribulation on earth. No, he's going to come for his children and take them out of this world before that time of great judgment even begins. Now listen again what God says in verse 17. He says, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day that I make up my treasured possession. Now notice what it says here. And I will spare them. I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. In other words, when Jesus comes back again, God's children are going to be spared. Well, the question is, spared what? Spared the coming tribulation judgment here on earth. Don't you see, my friend, the tribulation will be a time of extreme judgment. All hell is going to be poured out upon this earth. It will be a time of unprecedented suffering and untold sorrow that this world has never seen before. And it will be upon the backs of those who have rejected Jesus Christ. But those of us who have put our trust in Jesus will be spared this judgment. We'll be spared this judgment. You know, this is what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath. And that, that's what tribulation is going to be. That's what the tribulation period is going to be. It's going to be a time of wrath and judgment. So God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. You know, we live in a day of entitlement. You know, a growing number of people here in America believe they deserve everything to be handed out to them. And I'm not just talking about the millennials. You know, we pick on the millennials all the time. But this is true. This has no age limit at all, I promise you. And they feel that they deserve free health care, free college tuition, free child care, free everything. And they actually believe they deserve it. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want what I deserve. If I got what I deserve, I would be in hell today. If I got what I deserve, I would split hell wide open, and so would you. That's what we all deserve because we're all sinners In rebellion against God. We were born that way. The Bible says we were born in sin. Born in sin. The Bible says we are sinners by nature. We've inherited that sin nature from our our father. Uh, we We are also sinners by choice. We have chosen that lifestyle. A lifestyle of sin. No, I don't want what I deserve. I want mercy and 
and grace. I want what I don't deserve, you know. You know what mercy is? Mercy is God not giving to me what we deserve, and that's hell. God sparing us from judgment. Do you know what grace is? Grace is God giving to us what we don't deserve, and that's heaven, the free gift of eternal life. The only reason you and I will ever be spared judgment in hell and receive eternal life is because Jesus was not spared judgment. Romans chapter 8 verse 32 says, He, that is the Father, did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. In other words, God did not spare his own son from judgment, but judged him in our place on the cross so that we might be spared judgment. We're spared judgment because Jesus wasn't spared judgment. Now look back at um, verse 17 again, where God says, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. When we trust Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, God makes us his family. (laughs) He, He brings us into his family. He makes us his own. And we enter into a personal relationship with God through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God becomes our Father. We become his children. And God says to us, you are mine. You are mine. You know, I think we need to let that kind of sink in sometimes that's what God thinks of us that's our identity in Jesus Christ God looks at you and me and he says because of your faith in my son Jesus you are mine and nothing in all the world can change that truth of course we have an enemy who seeks to place doubts in our mind that that we're not God's treasured possession And, of course, that enemy is Satan. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, he is called the accuser of the brethren who accuses us before the Father in heaven when we sin. But Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of the Father, is our advocate. He is our defender. He is our defense attorney. And, you know, this is how it works. This is how it works. And I'm going to use me for an example of that. When I sin... Satan stands up to accuse me before God the Father. But at the same time, Jesus stands up to defend me. Satan says something like this. Well, look at what old Norman Rogers did. Can you believe that he did that? Can you? He's a pastor. Can you believe that he did that? But you know, Jesus Christ, at that very moment, He stands up in my defense. He holds out his nail-scarred hands, and he says to the Father, Yes, yes, he sinned, and yes, he was a sinner, and he is a sinner, but I died for that sin. I paid the price for that sin. He belongs to me. He's mine. Keep your hands off of him. And that's the way we need to look at it as well. Do you know what one of the greatest thrills in heaven is going to be? I believe it's going to be when, when Jesus, he puts his arm around us in the presence of the saints and the holy angels, and he says, he's mine. She's mine. She's mine. Well, what will the Lord's coming mean to those who us who have trusted him? Oh, man, we're his treasured possession. <laughs> 
We're going to be with him forever in heaven for all eternity. Well, the second question is, what will the Lord's coming mean to those who haven't trusted Jesus as Savior? Well, it means judgment. It will mean judgment. And folks, I realize that judgment is not a pleasant thought. You know, it brings me no pleasure to preach on judgment. It brings me no pleasure at all. But it's true. Friends, if there's a heaven, there's a hell. Both are taught in the Bible. You can't affirm one and deny the other. The Bible teaches both. There is a heaven and there is a hell. There is salvation and there is judgment. Now listen to what Malachi says in verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. You see the, the, the metaphors for, for judgment here. Burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming. Uh, that day is coming shall set them ablaze says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Now, the Lord's coming is to mean salvation for those who have put our trust in Him, but it will be judgment to those who have not trusted Him as Savior. This is what God says. They will be like stubble. What is stubble? That's dried up dead plants. What is stubble good for? Only to be fuel for the fire. Only good to be tied up and burned. Now that's the eternal destiny of those without Christ. God's word says they will be the stuff that stokes the fires of hell. That's not what I say. That's what God says. Some say, well, I don't like preaching like that. I don't, I don't like preaching like that. I'm not saying anything that Jesus didn't say. In fact, Jesus had more to say about hell than he had to say about heaven. This is what Jesus said about, about, about hell. He said that it is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what Jesus said. He said it's a place where their worm never dies and the fire is not quenched. These are Jesus' words. Yes, there is a hell. But you know, God doesn't send anyone to hell. People choose their own destiny by making their own choice. That's right. Either choosing to trust Jesus as Savior or choosing not to trust Him. You see, those are the choices. If you trust Jesus as Savior, then you will spend eternity with Him in heaven. If you reject Him, if you do not trust Him, then you will spend eternity separated from Him in this terrible place called hell. It's your choice. God has done, just think about it, God has done everything to keep us out of hell. He sent his own son to die on an old rugged cross for our sins. I mean, he did everything. He sent his own son into this world to live in this world and to die on the cross in our place. God judged him so that he doesn't have to judge us. He's done everything to gain our salvation. But you must, tr- you must choose either to receive him or to reject him. You know, this reminds me of Moses' words to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. This is, what, this is what Moses said, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today, that I have set before you life and death, 
Blessing and curse. Those are the choices. Do you want life or do you want death? Do you want blessing or do you want curse? Therefore, choose life that you may, that you and your offspring may live. You know, that's the gospel invitation. You know, choose life. Choose Jesus. He'll give you eternal life. He will give you life in heaven in the presence of God forever and ever and ever. Choose life. And my friend, I beg of you, if you're here today and you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, the only hope, the only Savior, do it today. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. When is the right time to be saved? When is the right time to put your trust in Jesus? Now. Now is the time. There might not be a tomorrow for you. There might not. Well, the third question. What blessings will come to those who trust Christ as Savior at his coming? What blessings will come to those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ at his coming? Well, Malachi mentions a few of these blessings. First, there's healing. Look at verse 2 of chapter 4. But for you who fear my name, and by the way, to fear God is to trust him. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Now, the sun of righteousness here is a beautiful name for the Lord Jesus Christ. It speaks of who he is, his glory, and what he has done or what he shall do. At his coming, Jesus Christ, the Son of Righteousness, shall rise with healing in his wings. The shining radiance of his glory will bring healing. Now, the Bible speaks of two kinds of healing. First, there's divine healing. And I believe in divine healing. I really do. Jesus is the great healer. He is Jehovah Rapha. He heals people today according to his purpose and will today. I've seen it. I've, I've seen people miraculously healed. So God, um, he heals through human means, through doctors and nurses and medicines and hospitals. And he also heals apart from human means, miraculously healing sickness and disease. But regardless, whether it's through human means or whether it's apart from human means, it is God who heals. I had a seminary professor who used to say, I get a headache. Um, I um, ask God to heal me of the headache. And if God heals me of the headache, if it goes away, I, I thank God for healing me. If it doesn't go away... I take an aspirin. And if it goes away, I thank God for healing me. So the point he was making is whether it's through miraculous means or whether it's through human means, it's all God. It's all miraculous anyway. It is the God who, who heals. It all comes from him. But here Malachi is not talking about that. He's talking about final healing. He's talking about the healing that's going to happen when Jesus comes again. He's talking about the final healing when believers will be made perfect in Jesus Christ. That final healing will be ours when Jesus comes for us at the rapture. 
At that time, all sickness and pain and sorrow and suffering will be gone away. You know, it's great to be healed down here. But I'm looking forward to that final healing up there. You know, the healing down here is temporary. The healing up there is forever, permanent. When Jesus comes again, we're going to get a brand new glorified body. Just think about that. A brand new glorified body. There will be no more sickness, no more disease, no more death, no more suffering. Just try to imagine what it's going to be like when we all get to heaven, those of us who know Christ. You know, I'm going to see you walking down the streets of gold beside the crystal sea. And I'm going to look at you and I say, man, you've never looked better. Man, you look good. Man, that, that new body you have, that, man, that is really neat. And you're going to look at me and you can say, you don't look too bad either, Norman. <laughs> what would that new body be like? Oh, I'm not sure. But it will be a body that's perfect in every way. It will be a body like our Lord's resurrection body. The Son of Righteousness is going to bring final healing to His children at His coming. And and this is what Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24. He says, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. Notice that. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. You know, the Bible calls this complete healing, complete or ultimate sanctification or glorification when we're made perfect in Jesus Christ. So healing, that's one of the blessings that's coming to us as believers in Jesus Christ. But a second blessing is victory over sin. Again, look at verse... Verse 3, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. You know, people ask all the time, and in fact, people have asked me many times, when is God going to do something about all this sin and evil and wickedness and all of this? Well, my friend, when Jesus comes back a second time to establish his kingdom, sin and wickedness will be forever destroyed. Today, you know, sometimes it looks like sin is winning out. That evil is winning the day. But the day is coming when God will right every wrong. And the Bible says he will make all things new. I love that. He will make all things new. And we know it's true. You know why? Because he's given us the end of the story. We know the end of the story. We have the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation tells us how the story ends. And you know how the story ends? Jesus wins. Jesus wins. And we're on the winning side. But the third blessing, and I love this, and I'll close with this. Untold excitement and joy. That's what heaven's going to be, folks. When Jesus Christ comes, there's going to be untold excitement and joy. Look at verse 2. But for you who fear my name. Remember, that means trust. For you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. 
And then I love what it says here. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Like calves from the stall. And I didn't grow up in the country. But if you grew up in the country around farm animals, you know exactly what this is talking about. How many country boys and girls do we have in here today? See, I see some of them. You should know. You should come up here right now and explain this. <laughs> you know, the picture, the picture here is of young calves, which has been closed up in the barn for days, maybe for the entire winter season. And the farmer comes and he opens the barn door and out comes those calves running and leaping and jumping from their stalls. Oh, this is the way it's going to be, folks, when we get to heaven, when we finally get home. You know, this reminds me a little bit of the lame man who was healed by Peter and and John in Acts chapter 3, verses 6, 7, and 8. We read, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Oh, that's the kind of excitement that we're going to have when we go home. When we're at heaven with our Lord, when we've been set free completely, we're going to be like calves who have been cooped up in a stall, bursting out in the freedom of the glory of God, running and leaping and praising God. You know, I love, I love the song by Mercy Me, I Can Only Imagine. You know, that song is, is he's trying to imagine what it's going to be like when... We are caught up in the presence of God. And the lyrics go like this. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine. I can only imagine when that day comes, when I find myself standing in the sun, the sun of righteousness. I can only imagine when all I will do is forever, forever worship you. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Well, I guess... We can only imagine, but I do know this. We will be filled with the joy of the Lord like calves bursting out of the stalls. We will be filled with the joy of the Lord. I'm telling you on that day, there's going to be a lot of Baptists jumping and praising God like shouting like a lot of Pentecostals. Oh, we'll, we'll have our doctrine straight, okay. And I, I believe we might be worshiping a little different than we worship today. The question I would like to ask you today is, will you be there? Will you be there? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Are you one of his treasured possessions? If you haven't, 
You can trust him today. And I can explain to you how with four simple words. The first word is God. God loves you for God so loved the world. You know, God created this beautiful world in which we live. It was perfect in every way. And he made it for our first parents to enjoy its splendor and its grace in every way. God loves you. He loves me, the Bible says. The second word is man. We know what our first parents did. Instead of obeying God, they disobeyed him. They went in full-fledged rebellion against God. And guess what? We've repeated that sin every single day. We too are sinners. As I mentioned, we are born in sin, the Bible says. We're sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice. We've all sinned against God. And the Bible says sin has a penalty. Has a penalty. And that penalty is separation from God. And ultimately, is separation from God in a Christless eternity in hell. That's the penalty. God, man, and then it's Christ. Oh, God loved us so much that he sent a rescuer to us. He's, he sent a deliverer. He sent a savior. The son of God, God himself, came into this world, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life. And at the right time, he went to the cross, and he died on the cross in payment for our sins. What God did on that cross, he judged Jesus so that he doesn't have to judge Norman or you. He punished Jesus so that he doesn't have to punish us. Christ is the rescuer. He's the redeemer who came to pay for our sins. And the Bible says we can be saved, we can receive as a free gift of God the eternal life that he provides, but there's a response, and that's the fourth word. We've got to respond. We've got to choose. And the choice is simple. The first choice is, God, I am a sinner, I know it. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that he was punished for me. I believe that, and I want him as my Savior. I trust him. I trust what he did on the cross. I trust his resurrection from the dead. I put my trust in him as my Savior. That's the first choice. The second choice is I don't want anything to do with him. And my friend, if you don't choose him, that's that's your response. You might not use those same words, but that's your response. If you don't choose him as Savior, you're saying, I don't need him. I can live my own life. I'll take my chances. Wow. I'd hate to live like that. God gives us a clear choice. We've got to respond. If you're here today and you haven't trusted Christ, I beg you, I plead with you. Put your trust in Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So clear, so plain that, that the little child can understand. And we thank you for that. Lord, I believe that there are choices that individuals need to make this morning. I really believe that. 
Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will work in their hearts to draw them to the Savior. We thank you, Lord, that in Christ there is glory and salvation. Without him, there's separation from him and all that is good and all that is blessed. Lord, I pray that you'll work in the hearts of your people today and the people who are here to obey your call. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.